Hi, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. As we do each week, we give you interesting conversations with interesting folks, and they really have, have provided us with great insight on things that they're mainly involved with. And this week is no different. Today, I've got my buddy David Reyes from New York. David is an avid baseball card collector, a hobby I had put away for about 20 years, but recently came back, found David online with his Facebook group, and he does a lot to inform all the members of his page and has a daily podcast himself. I think you guys will be very interested in hearing David's take on things, how the hobby has changed over the years, and things that are going on that maybe you didn't know about previously. Thank you all for, for your interest in our podcast. We hope you'll give it a listen. Consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Thank you again for listening to the Nomberg Law Live podcast. All right, I think we may be live. Let me check this out, David. Let's see, where are we? Sometimes it takes a second to register. You know, it's a Sunday evening. There's nobody else in the building. Oh, we are live. All right. Good afternoon or good evening, guys. It's Bernard Nomberg with another episode of Nomberg Law Live. It's a special edition. I'm here with my buddy, David Reyes from New York. David runs the SVA Baseball Card Collectors Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, podcast, you name it. He's got a, a dynasty going with his online presence. And David, good evening. Thank you for, thank you for being with us for a few minutes. Thank you very much for having me, Bernard. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And this is going to be fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. You and I have, and I'm now, let's see, I'm now sharing it to the Facebook page. So guys, if okay. y'all have any uh, questions, just throw it into the comment section. Hopefully we've got some folks. We got, oh, we got Dan. Oh, let me put on mute here. Uh, excuse me, Dan, I hope I pronounced your name right. Is it Wirenick? I know you're very active in the SBA group. He's with us. Thanks for joining us. But what we're going to do is just talk about collecting. And David, you have done such a great job. I joined you in February. I think you're about 40, 50 people, in, at least in the Facebook group. And I have, I want to thank you because I've had so much fun getting back into the hobby that I've been away from for about 20 years. So thank you for that. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. It's been um, different than uh, when I first started collecting. So it's, it's, it's crazy in the fact that of how far, how much it's changed from mid nineties to now it's stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> That's the best way to go. It's just stupid because uh, originally you have these thin, you know, cards and upper deck was the big deal when I was like getting out of it. And I, and I remember paying a buck or two for a pack. I'm going, That's crazy. Why would anyone pay that much for a pack? And it's like, just laughable now. It's just, it's crazy. It's just insane. Well, I, let, let's back up just a little bit, David. You've got all of this going on on social media. Tell us, I know you've told us a little bit over your podcast. Tell us a little bit about how'd you get into collecting ball cards? Who are, we know that the Yankees are your team, and I want to say maybe Mattingly's your guy, but tell us a little bit more about you and your background getting into the hobby. Well, I, I'm always, um, 
trying to hustle. So I'm always trying to make an extra buck. So I, originally I've, I've been selling electronics on eBay. I would go to thrift stores and I would do all that type of stuff. And um, I saw Gary Vaynerchuk. I follow him a lot and he's on Twitter. And he's, this was last year around September, I would say. So he wasn't really full into baseball cards and, you know, selling baseball cards and thinking this is going to be the next big thing. Um, and I saw a comment and Chris Ingram, he's actually in the, in the Facebook group. Um, he said, yeah, you definitely can make money flipping cards. And I said, I, I always had a hard time. I, I don't see that as a viable option. Um, but, you know, I, I would love to get back into it. So he direct messaged me and writes a novel. I mean, a novel where it took me like 10 minutes, just breaking everything down about how, you know, cards has changed. And once I started reading that, I just got right back. It was like, I was like a kid again. So I wasn't, I stopped collecting back in the mid nineties. I stopped collecting and Derek Jeter was big. That's when, when Derek Jeter came out, that's like when I stopped. I don't know why I got Brian Taylor. That's who I got. You know, I was so smart. I said, instead of getting Derek Jeter, he's going to be the next big thing. He was the Yankees' number one draft pick before Derek Jeter. And he, I think he hurt his eye. He got into a barroom brawl and, you know, punched a guy and his arm was toast. So I got a bunch of his cards. So long story short, he sent me a bunch, a bunch of more DMs. He was like my pen pal back and forth. And I just got back into it and just trying to figure out and follow what's going on, it was really difficult. Like there was no one place. I mean, there was people that were asking questions, but there was never just like one place to go for somebody new in the hobby who is my age, just trying to figure stuff out. And a lot of the Facebook groups were younger kids. You know, they had some older guys into it, but younger kids. And if you ask questions, they would jump on you and you just were like, all right, well, let me, I'm just going to try to figure it out on my own. So after a couple of months of me watching YouTube, going crazy, uh, you know, reading stuff, asking my friend Chris a ton of questions, um, and following Gary V, you know, Vaynerchuk, and, you know, document your stuff. So I said, you know what, let me, I, I think I've learned a decent amount in these couple of months, and let me try to help some other people out. So I stopped selling my electronics. I still go thrifting every now and then because I just like finding bargains and, and flipping on eBay. But um, I really wanted to sell baseball cards. I really wanted to get back into it. There was a lot of cards that I couldn't afford that I now can afford um, when I was a kid. And there's some cards that I still can't afford. And um, that's that's basically what it comes down to. It's just me trying to figure this. I'm still trying to learn. There's so much stuff to learn. There's so many things that are just it's just remarkable how the industry has changed. It's just crazy to me. Well, that's just when I started to get back into this after almost 20 years away from it. In November, December, I started following and watching online. I got into a couple of the other Facebook groups, then found yours around February. But you're absolutely right. When somebody would ask a very basic question in some of those other Facebook groups, some of the, the peanut gallery out there would just attack whoever would ask basic questions. And you're, you have cultivated, and this is what I applaud on your efforts, and that's why I really like your Facebook group. Basic questions such as, what's the difference between a raw card and a graded card? And you so beautifully tell us the difference. For people who haven't listened to you, 
uh, read about that, let's just start with a little bit of basics. There's there's so much here we could talk for hours, but I'm gonna kind of going to try to limit it to five to six questions. And if you guys who are watching, and now Darren Fields is watching us as well, if you all have any questions, just throw them in the comment section and I'll get them over to David. But let's just start with that, David. Back when I was collecting back in the 70s, 80s, and, and early, early 90s, everything was well, that looks like it's mint, or that looks very good, or poor. There was no such thing as what there is now. So give us just a basic primer, the difference between a raw card and a graded card. Well, a raw card is what, all right, if you're trying to get back into collecting baseball cards, when you hear a raw card, that's the thing that you think about when you go to card shows, when you open up a pack. You open up a pack, that's a raw card. There's, you know, it, it is what it is. So that's what we used to collect. And if it went by the eye candy and he said, it looks good, I don't know. And it was up into, you know, interpretation. And the price, truthfully, the price didn't vary that much when we were collecting. If it wasn't that great or if it was mint or near mint, they were the same price. So what the industry did was look, um, a lot of, I think a lot of card altering, a lot of trimming was involved in these ungraded cards to this so to stop all the nonsense was PSA which was a grading company back when we were when I was collecting but just no one bought it everyone said why am I gonna spend so much money on a graded card this raw card this is what I want why am I gonna spend so much who cares but now it's the total opposite so people do care and PSA they you send your card in you gotta you gotta mail your card into PSA and they'll take a look at your card and they'll grade it from a scale to one to ten um, Beckett, who was a price guide, is now in the grading service. Um, I, people still buy their, their price guides. I don't know why, but um, eBay is the marketplace now. But they are now a big grading service, and they're for modern cards. I think after 2000, they're the main guys to go to. And they go by four subgrades. And you have centering, you have edges, you have corners and what a, and surface that's that's the fourth one um and based on those four if you were looking to get a card graded you're looking for a 9.5 or better tens are very difficult to get so you want a 9.5 for beckett anything less than than that in a modern card is basically the same price as a raw card um so that's the 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 basics of it all now there's now other stuff involved with regards to grading and all the, the issues that have been popping up lately on forums and things like that. But when you're starting out, this is that's the that's the general knowledge of that. Um, I don't know if you want to get into all that stuff. I don't know if you know about all the controversy with regards to um, altering of cards from PSA and things like that. As much as I want to hear what your take on that, maybe that'll be our next discussion. Yeah, no, no, it's a whole thing. That's what yeah. If you're just learning, you're going, oh, what do you mean it's messed up now? I, I, so that's why I didn't want to get into it too much. But that's the basic. That's the basic gist of it. Very good. We've got a couple of uh, folks in here. Uh, Martin and Zachary and, and Mom are also joining us. And Dan, you, you got my next question. I appreciate you putting that in there. He asked for you to speak about the differences between opening packs of new cards or opening packs mm -hmm. that have not been touched versus buying the cards that you want. They seem like two different strategies here, but they, not, they may not be exclusive of each other, but there's really a difference in the collecting habits or the collecting approach. So talk about that. 
if you're collecting for your PC, a personal, you know, what you're going to keep, then opening packs is fine and dandy. You can open packs and, you know, for the love of collecting and the love of baseball cards. And I think there is <clears throat> that I always will do that. I'll always buy, you know, boxes of cards to open up because it's just fun. It's just fun to do. Even, you know, even though you might have some family members who go, what are you playing with cards? What are you, what are you, eight years old? Not <laughs> that nonsense. You, you sound silly, but it's the truth. I think that is just part of the hobby is, is, is doing that. But if you're looking for flipping, making money and investments, you want to take all the risk out. You, you know, it, it, I, I try to think about it like stocks and, and investments in like, if you're investing money in, in other things, you want, the least amount of risk as possible where you can make the most amount of money. So you're taking a chance on buying a box and you might get something good or you might get something crappy. Um, I've opened up a box of uh, Bauman Chrome where you get three autos in it, nothing else. And they're all three autos were terrible. So you spent, I spent 130 bucks and I got nothing. Whereas if I have a feeling or I have a good idea or I think this guy is gonna be worth money later on, I'm just gonna buy that one card. So I'll spend the 75 bucks or 100 bucks and get the card that I want that I think is gonna be an investment. You may spend less money buying a box and luck out in getting a card that you really want, but Vegas is, uh, Vegas is rich. <laughs> That's right, those buildings are big for a reason. Like <laughs> so it's a gamble, it's always a gamble. And no. again, if you're, if you set aside money for investment, use it as investment. Think about, you know, do your research and use, spend your money wisely. But if you have play money and you just want to open up boxes, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, that's what the hobby is built on. So well, that's, the, that's, just, that's the thrill of the hunt. If you're looking for yeah. what, you don't know what you're going to get, but I, you, you hit on something, David, that is, it, it's an approach to anything in any hobby where you're collecting. Are you collecting for the thrill of the collection and building because you want to have, for example, every tops card from a certain set every year, or maybe you're just collecting your guy, the, you know, your favorite player or two, or mm -hmm. this could be you're doing this as an investment, you're creating your portfolio, if you will, or you could do both. It just depends, I guess, how much money you have, what your desires are, but you could be overwhelmed very quickly, can't you? Because there's a lot of cards being made these days. Oh, it, it's, it's ridiculous. There's, I think there's too many. I know people uh, on message board, uh, on, you know, like other Facebook groups, they go, oh, there's, there's some that say there's not enough. They say there's way too many. Um, I think there's a little too many because it seems like every single month there's another box that's coming out. And there's some people who collect baseball cards go, oh, that's great. I love it. I get to buy more stuff and it's all different. But I, I just feel like it's just too much and not enough people, there's not enough people to collect. Well, maybe that'll make it grow. You know, I, I might be talking myself out of it. Um, and that might be, well, more people will come in as it is already. You know, more people my age are coming into it and they're gonna get their kids into it who are not, they might not even be into baseball, but they'll be into collecting baseball cards. I, I think that's what it's gonna be. And I think it's gonna go through other sports as well, basketball and football as well, but I'm tend to stick with baseball. Um, David, when, when did the grading of cards come about? When did that start, if you know? 
I don't know when it started, like way back when. I know it was around when I was collecting in the, in the mid '90s. I know it, I definitely remember it being there because, and I remember it would go, well, why would anyone spend so much more money on a card? It's the same thing as the graded, not knowing as a kid, these cards were probably being trimmed. They're probably, you know, they're altering the cards to make them look nicer. I wouldn't be able to tell as a kid. I just look at a card and said, I, you know, this looks sharp. This looks great. <laughs> it could have been four inches smaller. I have no idea. It didn't matter to me. And, and now it does matter because there's money to be made. So there's always money to be made back then, but not like it is today. But, well, it's, when I was a kid, really tops ruled. That was all through the yep. 60s and 70s. But then, then comes 1981. And you've got Fleer and Donners put out these really crappy set of cards. And then for about five or six years, it leads us into, and I don't know when it really starts, the junk card era. Talk to us about what is the junk card era and why is it defined as, as such? I don't know the specific which year, you know, like is it 80, 81, or 82. Um, I can tell you from 86, 86, 87 on to, um, I, I, I don't know when Topps had that exclusive, when they said, all right, Topps is the only ones who can get the Major League Baseball logo, everyone's out. I don't remember what year, and there's people who are probably collecting going, this guy's an idiot, but <laughs> I just don't remember. But Throughout the late 80s, you know, from 87 on, you can even go back to 85, 84, but you have some of the, you have some major guys that are that are in there, Don Mattingly, and you have, you know, Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs and all those guys, but there's a lot of them. It's just hard to get them graded, but the junk era is probably mid-80s throughout the 90s, and they just overproduced. You would have millions of cards being made of each player, so it wasn't very rare, and you can buy them anywhere. And, and that greatly doesn't that greatly devalue those cards for that it time? It devalues period? those cards immensely. The, the only saving grace is actually grading, um, <laughs> grading these cards because it's very difficult to get them in a good condition because the printing back then wasn't that great. So to get something that was centered that has four sharp corners that survived in wax boxes for 25, 30 years is is amazing. I, I always go back to the 85 tops Mark McGuire. Um, that was the card to have back then. And it seems like they're like a dime a dozen now. You could buy a, a raw card. I think you buy it less than five bucks or 10 bucks the card. But to find a PSA 10 is extremely hard. There's only 200, 200 and change out of 40,000, 44,000 that were graded. So you're talking about less than 1% of all graded Mark McGuire's got a PSA 10, which is insane because there's probably a million of these cards out there. Pause that thought. We're going to get back to the population of graded cards in a minute. Mm -hmm. I wanted to let you know we got Steve Woodham, Gary Rogers, Steve Schwadra, and uh, my daughter Sydney. We've got a whole bunch of folks in here. Chris Ingram, Jason Giles. Uh, Jason, and, or excuse me, Chris and Steve Woodham suggest that the junk era is about 96 to, uh, excuse me, 86 to about 92, that time period, late 80s, says yep. Martin. Uh, Chris asks, thoughts on the current hot pocket topic with altered cards, is that allowed? All right, let's, let's touch on that altering of cards for a couple of minutes. What do you mean hot pocket? <laughs> that's what, that's Chris's term. Maybe oh. <laughs> it just means it's a hot topic that's on right now. Oh, yeah, no, no. It, 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 uh, well, in a nutshell, 
some guys have been caught altering cards and there's a big consigner pwcc and they're if you go on ebay they're on ebay they're massive on there and they've been selling these altered cards and they've been basically been distancing distancing themselves saying that these cards are coming in and they have nothing to do with um, cards being altered now this is um all right, you have a card that comes in and you can grade it, like we said, one to 10, and it comes a three. There's guys that are actually cracking open these these uh, cases and fixing these cards, removing stains, um, fixing corners. If a corner is a little rounded, they try to make it sharp. Um, trimming cards where you should be able to tell by the measurement, but for some reason, uh, PSA isn't picking these things up. So now they're going into, well, maybe there's guys in PSA that are in cahoots with these dealers and they're getting kickbacks. So that's where this is going right now. So you have that aspect. So now PSA, and now I also read about emails, uh, tweets, people um, were, were talking about emails they received from PSA saying that, hey, if you do X amount of dollars with us, we'll guarantee you you'll have a PSA 9, a certain amount of PSA 9, PSA 10 cards, which is, how can you guarantee that? If, if, what if I bring in a bunch of, you know, crappy cards? You can't guarantee that. So there's a lot of dirty things that are, that are coming up and surfacing from people who are doing really good detective work. They should literally be working for Homeland Security. I think they'd be able to find uh, Hillary's emails. They'd be able to find some <laughs> stuff. <laughs> they'd be able to find everything because these guys are amazing what they find. They're finding the original cards, they're finding the cards that were graded and then them fixed up, the new versions of them. And they have a whole timeline of it. And um, it's at blowout forums, uh, most of the stuff is. Um, I know, I forget the name of the podcast, the Sports Cards, I don't remember what their, what their name is, but they did like an hour long thing about their investigation you know, work. And it's really, it's everyone, everyone's involved, um, just, it, it sucks. It, it really does suck. Um, I I don't know every minute detail, but there you go up to blowout forms, you'll find it. And if you just do a search on Google, you find it. It's it's everywhere now. Well, and, uh, it's, and it's it's not good. Well, that's what I was. That was going to lead me to the to the next topic. Somebody who's either full go into the hobby and they have been for a while, or you're just getting into it. How do you figure out? Who can be trusted, you know, online? Everybody can put up whatever they want to show you, but how do you know if, for example, you go through an eBay sale and you purchase something through eBay, how do you know you're going to get the exact item that's being advertised? It seems like there's a lot of room for some real shadiness in there. There's always room for shadiness in everything that you're going to make money in, and that's why reputation is important. Some of what, like, that's why I'm doing this Facebook group and, and, and everything like that. I'm trying to, me, I'm trying to build a brand, just like everyone else is trying to build their own brand and reputation. So there's certain guys that you just, you got to look at their eBay, you know, on, if they're selling on eBay, you have to check their scores. You have to look up Facebook groups, search their names. Um, like right now, to me, consigners on eBay, it always seems shaded to me. It makes no sense. I know it may be easier. You go, well, they can get, um, you send your cards. PWCC is a consigner. And basically what they are is 
um, you go and send your card over to PWCC and they'll take the pictures of it, they'll promote it, and they'll try to get you top dollar for your card on eBay. But you can do the same thing for free. You don't really need them. What they have is a huge email list. That's what they have. And so they're able to really push it to a bunch of people, not just eBay. So that's what they do. But you can do the same thing and just say, I have a card, and I do that to PWCC. I send out, I have um, Mark McGuire rookie card. I got the PSA 1985 tops. I send it to uh, PWCC. They consign it. They set up everything, and they post it on eBay. There's nothing stopping me from bidding up that card. I could do it. I'll just create a different eBay account and just bid it up. And you can tell by the solds, you'll see all of a sudden there's one card that's like $200 or $300 more than the average, which is why I don't really like consigners on eBay. On eBay. Um, I like auction houses because they have their own spot. You know, you go and, like, I, I like serious sports card auctions. You go there. You're not dealing with eBay. You're not dealing with shill bidding. It's just that card and people are bidding and try to win it. And that's it. Would you suggest, and I appreciate you sharing that, if you're getting into this and you're not used to bidding on cards or selling or buying cards through eBay, or you're not used to being in a Facebook group of ball card collectors where it's commented, as much as you want to, the average person may want to jump in and just go for it. Would it be better? Would it be better to just observe for a little while, see what's going on, see how the the the, the buying and selling goes, see the the commentary, uh, as opposed to just jumping in? Or does that really make a difference? It does make a difference. Me on like what I do, I jump into everything. So I start buying cards stupidly and I make mistakes, and that's something why I started this whole thing because it just, I don't want people to make the same mistakes that I do. You should just sit back and see how cards are going, what prices they're going for, what you may be, interact, think that you're interested in one thing and you're not in another. You know, you just go, you know what, I don't like it. I want to stick to vintage cards because that's what I know or that's what I want to learn. And if you jump in, you're going to be all over the place. You're going to be like, oh, I want to pick up a Bauman you know, card. I want to get tops card. I want to get this. I want to get that. You're going to be all over the place and you're not going to really know what you want. You know, you, you should just take a step back. Look exactly what you're saying. I, what I do is I watch a ton of YouTube, watch a lot of YouTube, um, ask a bunch of questions. Even people will make fun of you. Just ask them. So what you get made fun of, <laughs> just move on, uh, go on Instagram, Twitter, comment, ask questions, the more you engage in the community, the more you're going to get out of it. And then you'll sort of get an idea of where to go. You know, maybe you, all you want to do is collect prospects because you think you have the thrill of finding someone before anyone else, you know, knows about them. Or maybe you don't want to go through all that and you just want to buy, I want to buy Mike Trout cards. I want to buy, you know, maybe Thurman Munson cards because he's a big Yankee fan and he liked them back in the seventies. And so you just learn everything about, you know, whatever you learn, what you want to engross yourself. That, that's basically what it comes down to. Just learn, everything. Do you, your re, what you're saying is do your research and have a plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to, guys, if you're just joining us live or if you're catching us later on in a replay, I'm with David with SBA Baseball Card Collectors. He's on just about every social media platform. David, I've put in the comment section a link to your Facebook group. 
if you would, and we'll do this again later on, but how can folks get in touch with you on your different platforms? Um, huh. SVA uh, Baseball Card Collectors is um, on Facebook. That's the main place that I have everyone going to. The website, SVA Card Collectors, that's going to be me just spewing stuff and throwing stuff out there. Try to get, I'm trying to get a good, I have a, a link where you go start here. So if you're just getting started in collecting and um, like me, if you're coming from, you used to collect and now you're coming back, I have a start here. Yeah, click that button and I'll give you three podcasts. And from there, you have a good idea of how to get going and collecting and, you know, doing whatever you want to do. Um, resources page, stuff that I bought, like supplies that I bought that you should have for collecting. Uh, websites that you should go to, things that you should sign up for. Just a general knowledge stuff that if you're in the game, you already know. But if you're just starting out, you would have no clue. Like, you would have no idea. So those are the two main areas that I'd like. Uh, I'm, I'm in. Instagram, I sort of use that for buying and selling cards as well as engaging in the group. And Twitter, I'm just there because I'm there. Because <laughs> it seems like I want to be everywhere. But Twitter is it's more of a community where Instagram is more buying and selling. Um, Twitter is more of a community and, and a little bit more talking, you know, talkative and, and learning. So that, that's, what I've, that's what I've noticed. From well, I, I can tell you, and, and, and again, I applaud your efforts, the Facebook group that you're growing in the community, um, it's not one that you're really going to have people jumping on you for making dumb questions, or, or not dumb questions, but basic questions and comments. It's one to learn, and there's so much activity going on there. I know most folks are probably tired of my hashtag Go Braves, but I'm sorry, I'm going to have to keep posting that <laughs> at, the end of my, at the end of each of my posts. But talk to us a little bit about what what is your goal for that Facebook page? What, what's going on there and what's your goal for it? Obviously, it's to grow and get bigger. That's what everybody wants. But it really is to be the most not <laughs> the most positive baseball card group that you could possibly be. Just because there's so much crap and negativity and people yelling and arguing. And I think throughout the Internet not just fit, you know, baseball card groups. So I just wanted to be a place where you just go, just, I, I just want an answer. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want people, you know, being sarcastic and, and yelling at me, or I should know this, or I should know that. I just, I just want to get an answer. And um, that's really what I want to come down to is a place where people can go ask their, their questions. It may be a dumb question. It doesn't matter. Ask the dumb question. We'll be there to answer it. Um, and just to, make the grow you know i want it to a point where i don't have to answer questions anymore the people in the group will know the answers the older guys and they'll be able to answer it and just grow from there that's basically what it comes down to just a, a community where if there's cards that people want that they could trade it, it's not going to be focused on selling baseball cards it's going to be more like collecting whatever your goal is you'll be able to achieve it there the, the basically you want to invest Maybe, you know, you can make connections there and they'll be able to, gear, you know, steer you in the right direction of what you want to do. That's basically what it comes down to. One of the fun things that I like to see in there, whether it's you or one of the other members, is maybe they've gone on Facebook Marketplace and they found a great deal. Or they've gone to a garage sale and a great deal and they share what they've come back their loot, if you will. And yeah. I think that's always, that's a lot of fun to see those kind of things. Well, you had a bang up one. You did, you definitely did well on your, uh, 
It was, was it mostly it was 60s and 70s? Did you have any it 50s? Was, yeah, yeah, a little bit of 50s, but maybe mostly 60s and tons of 70s. And I'm still going through it. I just hadn't had time uh, to finish going through. There's hockey and football in there too. That's see, that's my my strong suit more is because I came from eBay and thrifting and, and flipping, you know, not baseball cards. So I know all about let go, offer up, Facebook Marketplace. I flipped on eBay. I flipped textbooks from Amazon to Amazon. Like huh. I've done gamut of things. I've drop shipped. I bought stuff. I drop shipped stuff from Home Depot. Sold it on on you know eBay. You know I tried to like I said I, I that stuff I have a lot of knowledge on. So the fact that I'm able to do baseball cards now and I can just just take a picture of a small little thing and not have to do anything else. Yeah. It makes me happy, and the that that is, I love. Like I have, I'm in a couple of resale groups, like eBay flippers and things like that. And on Saturday and Sunday, that's what you see. Saturday night, you're just gonna see a bunch of pictures of people's loot and haul that they got. You know, I paid two dollars, I'm gonna sell it for two hundred, and it's out there. Uh, it's you might baseball cards is a lot harder to find and sift through, but. You check Facebook Marketplace and you go on there every single day and you keep asking people and plugging away and notice maybe a car to start dropping. Wait five months, no one's sell, you know, buying it. Throw them a low ball offer and you'll get it. And you do enough of those, you'll find enough stuff. I bought an 84 Tops rack box. It was actually a case, but the guy opened up, which was so annoying. But for, what was it, 60, I think I paid 60 bucks or 80 bucks, something like that. And they go for 150 each, so it was a 400 dollars deal, and I paid 60 bucks for it. I just I saw it just like everyone else, you know, and it was there for weeks. It wasn't there for a couple of days, so anyone could have had it. But that goes to the studying and being knowledgeable, and then you see it and then you act on it. Um, oh yeah, sure. Let me let me throw two part question to you. Talk to us the difference between vintage and modern cards. And then if you have cards that are either vintage or modern and you want to send them off to be graded. And I know you don't endorse any particular companies, but who are the companies out there where you can send your cards to have them have them graded? Well, vintage cards to me, this is to me, vintage cards I think are mid 70s through, you know, all the way to the T206s. Um, the late 70s, there's, I'm trying to think of, maybe you have like Ozzie Smith, Dave Winfield, but I don't remember if there's too many other guys there. And you always have Nolan Ryan, every single year his cards are big. But the vintage cards, those are the years, and truthfully, it's to me it's just the 50s and 60s. I think those are like, those are, that's the, that's the vintage, cards that that people want to collect want to get into um very expensive to get into that especially if you're going after mickey man or willie mays guys like that um i would suggest sign up for psacard.com um they have a place where you can store all your your cards so if you're starting to get into vintage cards just say you want to collect a set like i've talked about collecting the 1955 top set so do research on eBay, check the solds. Um, people, and they will, a lot of people register their sets. So you can go on PSA and just say you want to buy 1955 Tops cards. And there's 200 sets that have been registered and they're all 
are from 100% complete to 10% complete. And you can, and they'll have like an icon where you can email them. So you email them, hey, I want to buy or you want to sell your cards. And I know you're missing them because I see exactly what you have registered. And that's a way to, A, build a reputation, um, get people, you know, you're trying to get people involved and, and not people involved, but you're trying to move your cards or collect cards to get your collection bigger. Um, and it's exactly the guys that you want. So it's not like... Um, on a Facebook message board, you know, a Facebook group where you go, I need 55 tops, help me out here. Most people don't have that. They're typically dealing with modern cards. PSA, the, you can go for each set. There's sets that are registered. There's people that you can email. Um, Blowout Forms has a, you know, PSA also has a form where they, a lot of times they have sets where they have message boards for particular sets that are being invested, that they're collecting. You can go into there as well and start talking to people there. Um, that's my suggestion for vintage. Um, not everyone is collecting vintage either, so it's a little bit slower going if you're buying and selling. I'm talking about commons, major guys, Willie Mays, you know, all the top guys, they're going, they buy and they sell very quickly. Um, modern cards, what do you want to know about modern cards exactly? What, is there something particular? What's the time period? I know modern cards you could talk about there the last couple of years, but where does modern cards really start or does it where vintage ends do you come forward with is that considered I like i would say modern cards is like after 2000 um that to me that's what i would consider and that's 19 years ago so it's not that modern but that's that's what i would consider modern cards um you're getting you know now you're getting involved i don't know see i don't know exactly when like all the the rainbow stuff like the colored cards like you know the purple you only have 250 autos of purple blue signifies is only 150 autos i don't know when that started um that i'm not too sure of um but i would say 2000 that's that's roughly the, the modern era i don't know what you would uh consider mid 80s to 90s you know through that era i don't know what you consider that i don't know if it's part of the uh modern era or not um, I would I wouldn't take it. I, I still think that's part of a, a junk era. I think there's certain ins inserts that are crazy expensive, and you have certain cards within the within the years that are worth something. But for the most part, I don't see too many people investing and buying '96, '97 tops or, or whatever the case may be. We, I still David, think one of them. We, I live in the heart of a football country, as you know, down here in Birmingham, Alabama. And yes. while ba baseball is a, a very distant second or third place when it comes to popularity of sports. But mm -hmm. as a result, we only have two baseball card shops in our metro area within about 50 to 60 mile radius. One, one of the shops is strictly an online presence. They do not have a, you walk in there and it looks like a warehouse. They don't have it set up like a, mm -hmm. a local card shop. The other one that I really enjoy going to is set up that way. And I'm coming with my question in just a second. I, when I was in there about two weeks ago, I was looking through one of the Beckett's he had on the counter, and I was looking at the, the current year, or 2018, 2019. I was completely blown away about how many, and it looked like there were 100 sets from 2018 just listed. Tops alone looked like it had 20, 30, 40 different sets of all different oh, sizes, yeah. inserts, and things. It's so confusing, but here's my question. That's, if you're going to collect modern cards, that is so overwhelming 
to somebody just getting back into it. You could go broke in a day. Oh, for give sure. us give us some some strategies. Give us some thoughts about <laughs> so that you're not so completely overwhelmed. If you want to collect modern cards and you're not you know you don't know where to go. If if you got time and this is what I like to do, which not everybody likes to do. When I first got into collecting, I couldn't believe they had people videotaping themselves, opening up cards and flipping through them. I said, this, to me, that's asinine. Why would anybody watch it? After 20, 30 minutes of watching and go, oh, I can't look what this guy, a guy who I've never met, I have no idea who he is, and I care deeply about what kind of card he gets. <laughs> it, it's just stupid, but it's the truth. So what I would suggest that you do is pretty much the, all, all the cards are, you have the same sets year in and year out now. So if you're interested, you can go to 2018. They look similar. They may be a little bit different, but they look similar. And you can go through and you just watch videos of people opening up cards. And you'll see actually what type of cards there are. You'll see how many autographs you get per box. Um, you need to also go to cardboardconnection.com. They literally will have a set release and they'll tell you every single card, sports cards, you know, baseball, football, hockey. Uh, I think you can do Pokemon, Star Wars. Star Wars is huge. I can't believe how crazy people get the Star Wars cards. But um, they have it by month, by day when everything's being released. And they'll come out with checklists and they'll show you a picture of a card. So that will help you as well. But I like op I like seeing people opening cards. Like they have 2019, you have Top Series 1, um, Bauman. You have, I don't even remember. I actually did a podcast where I rattled off all the different types of cards, uh, sets that were made. And that's one of the things, if you go to, to the Start Here button in my website, it's the third one down or second one down where I tell it. I just basically rattle off all the cards, sets. And I missed, I think, three of them. It was it was a 12 minute podcast of me just naming them. I wasn't even going into too much detail about it, and it's a massive amount. But I would suggest go on YouTube, go to Cardboard Connection, look at the cards. So you see, a lot of people when they're collecting, they like the way it looks. That's really what they're going for. It's not really for flipping for the flipping or investment value. Um, if you're doing the flipping investment value, that's a totally different thing, and really investment purposes, you're talking about just Bauman, Bauman Chrome, first Bauman's of players. That's that's where you're going. So you're going to go after the Bauman draft, which comes out in November or December. And it's going to be a bunch of guys you never heard of, you never seen, that were just drafted. And people spend insane amounts of money buying these cards. And people spend thousands of dollars on a guy who played maybe a couple of weeks in minor league ball. But that's the investment. That's where you get the prospects, and that's the flipping aspect is is geared towards that. There's all the sets as well, you know, but that's the one. That's where you're, you're heading for, for that stuff. So the, the guys who were drafted this past week who were in college and high school will be potentially could be on cards this fall, and those are the cards that you're referring to. Yes, they will be in 2019 uh, Bauman draft. And typically, you'll get a box, you'll spend $150, and you get three autos, and away you go. And by the time, by the time you go, you should pre-order it on eBay, because by the time the first week comes around, those things are $160, 170 they're already starting to go up, and then they just stay there at that price, which is insane.
That's crazy. You're 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 putting some of your investment in the hands of kids who are 17 to 18 years of age, maybe 22. My guy JJ Bladay from Vanderbilt got drafted fourth uh, this past week. He has the pleasure of being in the Marlins organization just in time to be traded to a contender and then later be MVP. So I'm going to go after JJ Bladay's uh, cards. Sounds good. We got a, got a comment, and guys, we're getting close to the end. And David, I really appreciate your time and your no wisdom and your expertise here. Dan says, my all-time guy is Carl Yastrzemski. By the way, his grandson is right now playing for the San Francisco Giants, also a Vandy boy. I am in the process of purchasing one card from every year that Yaz played. Should I be concerned about grades on the oldest ones? Yes. Uh, yes. But there's a caveat. Um, when you go to PSACard.com, you sign up, or you can just go to the website and you'll see there is a pop report. And that will tell you how many PSA 6, 7, 8s, and 9s. And I like to see the percentage. So, for example, you should see a huge jump from a PSA 7 to a PSA 8 because they're much rare in vintage cars. And you'll, you can see the price difference. For example, a 1971 Thurman Munson, it's that black border one. I, I bought one. And you get a PSA 7, and they go for around 250, 270, right around there. Um, you go for a PSA 8, now you're talking about 1,000 bucks. That's how much of a difference um, those two grades are. Now that's 71, but that's the way it is in most of the, the cards in the vintage area. It may not be as drastic on a PSA 8, maybe the PSA 8 to a PSA 9, depending on the set. But I am more of the, how rare is it? That's where, that's where I go in. If, if it's, uh, but also it's what you can afford. You know, these cards can be thousands of dollars. There's people spending thousands of dollars on guys that you've never heard comments because they're just hard and they're rare and they're trying to build a set. So should you be concerned about, uh, yes, you should, because of there may be just a ton of PSA, PSA 7, Carly Shremsky, I actually bought one, a 1975 Carly Shremsky. It was an SGC card, not PSA, but they also have a pop report. That's another grading service, SGC. So. I thought it was a, what was it, a nine. It basically was a nine. It was, it was almost, you know, it was, I thought there's no way this is, has a bunch of colors around it. It's got to be a difficult card to grade at a high, and I didn't do my research. Lo and behold, I look, there's a ton of them out there. I look at PSA nines, there's a ton of PSA nines, so the value wasn't that high. And so... I got tricked because I didn't do my research. It's still a good card. It still will move up, but the PSA 10 is the one that's the rare one. That's the one that everyone's going to want. That's the one that's really going to jump in value. This will just be a steady, you know, with College Stremsky, just like all the other cards, it's going to have, is going to steadily move up. And you'll see, I mean, I, I think someone did a, I think it was on Forbes and said, if you invested in baseball cards, it was like 10, to, I don't know, 15 to 20% it went up. Um, most you're talking about high-end top cards that people follow. It, it's it's crazy. Actually, I wrote an article um, on the on the website about the 1985 tops and trying to figure out which one to buy was a pain in the ass. I couldn't figure out, hey, which is the one? What's the definitive card that you should get? 
if you bought all of them, you weren't losing money. And you were your rate of return was like 30% in over a 10-year period. I think anyone would do that. If you can spend $50,000 on all those cars and you're going to tell me you're going to get a 30% rate of return in 10 years, I think anyone's going to sign up for that. So I'm all for buying grade. I'm also, you know, just check your the pop port. And also, I would suggest buying a portfolio of cards, not just one single card, if you can afford it. That's what I, that's my. And guys, we're getting close to the end of our, our discussion tonight, I'm talking with David with SBA card, baseball card collectors. I put uh, the link to his Facebook group on our comments. I also put the link to Cardboard Collection. They have two last questions. And again, thank you for your, your time. Let's talk about autos. And before we get to that, we all saw the video from several months ago of, uh, I think it was Vlad Guerrero Jr. Mm -hmm. signing and chunking, signing and chunking, and putting them in a, throwing them into yeah. a big box. And that upset, <laughs> it upset a lot of people. It really did. Talk about autos. They're very, very hot at times, why are they important? What should you look for? How do you not get fooled into paying a lot of money for people you may not have, have ever even heard of? Um, that is a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. Because why are autos important? That I, I don't know. I, to me, I think it is because as a someone who's coming back into the hobby, getting an autograph was unheard of back you know back in the 90s no one got an autograph when you opened up a pack of cards so when you when you're starting to get back into it you think my this has got to be a fortune to this guy you know you're not you're not thinking that autographs are everywhere now they're not they're pretty common now um it's it's it, it it's I'm hesitating because there's a lot of research you need to do on the minor league prospecting portion for autographs. Um, you, it's it's almost like a full-time job. Like you need to be focused and you need to know what's going on. A guy could. Um, am I broadcasting? Can you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. We're good. Um, you could be. A guy could hit for a cycle and his card is gonna jump up or a guy could be 0 for 25 and his card could slide down and you have no idea because you don't follow minor league baseball right so that's like so for those autographs you sort of have to be engaged and you have to know what's going on and you have to follow stuff there's a website fangrass.com and they have an excellent um they give you all that sabermetric data um which i don't really use that much um i'm actually gonna hopefully my article comes out I pretty much have it all done next week where I talk about it and I go through like basically the, the four areas that I like to look for, you know, walk ratio, K ratio, um, home runs and doubles. And th those are the stats that I look at. And then you try to compare and contrast the cost of the top prospects of a position. So it, it's hard to say, you know, with autographs. With minor league, it's very difficult. You need to be engaged. You need to know what's going on. You need to follow up. With major league, it just seems like there's a group of guys that are worth a ton of money, and then there's everyone else. Um, and only the 
colored card with regards to, you know, you have the reds that only five cards have been autographed. I, I don't know if you want, they've changed it where you now have, all right, you have uh, autograph base cards and then you have cards, uh, refractors 499, then you have 250, which are purple, uh, 150 that are blue cards, uh, green 99, and then you have the sparkle and black, which is usually 75 or 99, they change. And then gold is 50, orange is 25, red is five, and then you have one of one. Now all those numbers signify the amount of cards they made and that they autographed. So further down the line you go, the more expensive that they get. So fives are always extremely expensive. One of one is, is super expensive, even of a guy that you never heard of. They, they're pretty expensive because there's only one card ever made of them. So those cards are worth money, but if you just get a base auto of Alex Bregman, you go, my God, I, this is going to be worth a ton of money, and it's just, it's just not, it's just, right. it's not there because there's no, all, there's autographs everywhere, and there's no scarcity, and that's what you need. You need scarcity and people wanting it for the price to go up. Well, it's 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 one of those topics that we could have talked an entire hour just about that one specific issue. But I kind of oh. wanted to give a, a broad stroke of, of the mm -hmm. hobby and, and where it's been and kind of where it's going from your perspective. And David, I, we're, we're at the end of, of our discussion and, and I could talk to you for an hour more, but yeah. we all have things we got to do tomorrow and need some sleep. But I want to leave you with this. I want to ask you, how can folks, again, I know we mentioned it earlier, but if folks want to get involved in your Facebook group or follow your podcast, which is so successful, how do folks get back in touch with you or stay in touch? Well, you have SVA Baseball Card Collectors. You go on Google. You can Google that. I'm on iTunes. Um, I'm on Anchor. That's what I use, but I'm on iTunes. I think most people listen to me through iTunes from, from what I gather. Um, and then from there, I also do YouTube videos, not too often. I should be doing more, um, where I, you know, I'll get my PSA gradings and I'll, you know, I'll open it up and I curse most of the time at how poorly my cards are graded. Um, but really the Facebook group is, is where people can get me. It's, it's SVA baseball card collectors is the Facebook group. Um, and I'm going to be pushing the website more because that's where I want people to go because a lot of times. People do like to listen, but like I am a visual person. I can hear it, I listen to it, but like I do better with YouTube. I see, if I see someone do something or I, you know, it's hard to talk about a baseball card and how it looks, you know, it's just, you can't describe, you know, I can describe it only so much. You wanna see what you're talking about. So um, that's why I think the website is important. People like to read. So I try to make short, you know, I'm gonna try to make short articles on stuff that's real quick stuff that you want to you know quick information that you can learn right away um thing I, I i see it going is people starting to have courses and pay to learn about baseball cards which is nonsense to me you should be able you can do everything for free and you can it's just building community and being engaged so you can do that for free well david thank you You've done a, a great job of, of, this was exactly the type of conversation I was hoping for, and I hope it was good, okay for you. Um, you also do a great job on social media branding, and I can't let you get out of here without you giving us your tagline before we do this for the night. <laughs> Buy some cards and go broke, people. 
<laughs> you guys hear it every day on this podcast. David, thank you again. And this will conclude our discussion for this evening. And guys, as we always do, Nomberg Law Live, I usually come to you every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific. This was a great time. At least it was a convenient time, hopefully, for David and me to get together to talk about this. I'll put this. This is also going to be on the Facebook page. And we're going to, uh, I'll have a YouTube link that y'all send to you as well. David, any closing words after? Go ahead. No, I really don't. Just enjoy collecting, have fun, buy cards, go broke like I'm like I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Good night. <laughs>